0: bird in a gilded cage, a beautiful sight to see, to see. You may think she's happy and free from care, she's not, though she seems to be. Tis sad when you think of her wasted life, for you.
1: A bird in a hey, everybody, welcome back to Reggie's Comic Stories. My name is Reggie. This is the second episode. Uh, you'll find me here every other Wednesday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And of course, you should subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are congealing. Uh, various apps and places around the internet uh, Today I'd like to do to do something a little different than I did last time uh, Kind of talk a little more off the cuff About a subject that's sort of near and dear to my heart As well as I think uh, vital to comic books history It's about the first American comic strip The Yellow Kid by uh, R.F. Outcult And we've kind of touched on that a few times In uh, Weird Comics History and in The Cosmic Treadmill uh, And you know If we can ever get it together to do a full history of comic strips, which is really would be quite a series uh, We will definitely, you know, include this, but I thought that, you know, in lieu of that, let's kind of dig in and tackle this a little closely And, you know, when we talked about this a lot was in our uh, Weird Comics History episode about the direct market The first one kind of starts off with uh, a little bit of what, what this will entail So, just to get it out of the way, the first-ever comic strips were not American. Uh, We could argue the origins of comic strips going all the way back to the origins of language, but I would say, and many agree with me, that the first-ever comic strips, really, they grew out of the penny-dreadful pulp magazines that were prevalent through Britain in the early 19th century. Uh, These were illustrated, serialized stories... So they weren't yet comic strips, but they were getting there. Uh, more and more, the illustrations would just match the text exactly. Uh, there were more and more illustrations as time went on. And uh, eventually, uh, the, the first comic strip ever was Ali Sloper's Half Holiday in 1884. Uh, this is the first one to feature a recurring character also. Uh, Ali Sloper, by the way, was a lazy schemer, often found, quote, sloping through alleys to avoid his landlord and other creditors. It debuted in 1867 in the humor magazine Judy, which, yes, was a sister magazine to punch. Uh, Alley was created by writer and artist Charles Henry Ross and inked and later fully illustrated by his French wife, Émilie de Tissier, under the pseudonym Marie Duval. And uh, that sounds like a very interesting story of itself, but we're going to talk about a fella named Richard Felton Outcalt. Uh, He was born January 14th, 1863 in Lancaster, Ohio, to Catherine Davis and Jesse P. Outcalt, Uh, O-U-T-C-A-L-T. He would add the U later in life, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, The Outcalt family, they were among the first to settle Lancaster, which was incorporated in 1800. Therefore, R.F. was a child with some means. We'll actually say he was like middle class at this time. Uh, probably one of the more wealthy people in Lancaster, but at that time it was still really a frontier town. So, being the most wealthy there was a matter of how many dry goods you had on hand, which was not, not a bad thing to have. Uh, point being, though, is that he's coming from a fairly, uh, you know, well-off or you know, reasonably well-off family. Uh, to even add to that, he attended McKend University's School of Design in Cincinnati from 1878 to 1881. And after graduating, did commercial painting for the Hall Safe and Lock Company based in Cincinnati. And this is definitely a time that if you didn't have some money, you would not be going to uh, secondary school and things like this. So uh, it definitely implies that uh, he had a, a few dollars to his name. In 1888, Outcult painted electric light displays for Edison Laboratories. Uh, for the Centennial Exposition of the Ohio fa- Valley at the Ohio Valley and Mid-Atlantic States in Cincinnati, uh, very snappy name for a festival, for sure. Uh, but this must have been huge. I mean, Edison at this time would have been an absolute, you know, celebrity. He had just patented the light bulb like the year before, and was sort of stepping out, you know, becoming a figure—the the figure that we would know him as, the great inventor. Uh, of course, there was a story. Uh, with Edison also, but not really relevant to comics. Uh, anyway, this led to uh, doing full-time work with Edison in West Orange, New Jersey, uh, doing some mechanical drawings and illustrations, stuff that would actually be be available to uh, retailers, but also for commercial reasons. Um, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the, you know, uh, growth of electric appliances had to do with just getting the, the public comfortable with their existence, and, uh, the cross sections and diagrams and pictures went a long way to helping people understand or at least think they understood how their uh, items worked and things like that. Uh, Thomas Edison appointed uh, RF official artist for the company's traveling exhibition in 1889 to 1890, which included supervising the installation of Edison exhibits at the Exposition Universelle Universal sale in Paris, uh, I really, I don't know French, I'm sorry folks It was another, uh, you know, World's Fair type event in Paris uh, This is actually where the Eiffel Tower was first revealed So that was a big to-do and that's still there to this day um, But this was a big deal for RF because while he was there in Paris He studied art in the Latin Quarter uh, which has a French name that I'm not going to try and it was there. They added the U to his last name because you know It's very French and European to have the extra superfluous You in your name? Uh, and by the way the Latin Quarter was and is today an artistic socially progressive area of Paris that has many schools including Sorbonne University, which is well known for art so in 1890 RF returned to America And he married banker's daughter Mary Jane Martin on Christmas Day, 1890, and settled in Flushing, Queens. Now, this is where uh, the story crosses path with your humble narrator uh, for the first time, in a way. Because uh, he settled in Flushing, Queens and actually lived the rest of his life there, I was born in Flushing, Queens. Many, many, many years later, um, virtually a hundred years later, actually... uh, a little less than 100 years later, but it, you know, it's something to me. You know, anything from my hometown of Flushing, we have the New York Mets, we have uh Flushing Meadow Park, which is actually the site of two American World's Fairs, and we have RF Outcult. And uh, at that time, uh, Flushing was an almost idyllic countryside, uh, it was like going, it was literally like going out to the country. Um, you know, this is not unlike it would have been you know, uh, 30 years later, but the great Gatsby is a story about people going essentially to Flushing, a little further east to Douglaston and Little Neck, uh, and it was considered going out to, you know, the fresh air countryside, which if you want to go to Google Maps and do the street view right now, you can go to Main Street and Northern Boulevard in Flushing, Queens, and tell me how idyllic it looks. Uh, Right there at that corner actually was a school known as the Flushing Institute, which was a school for boys that at the time, again, this was considered like, The best prep school or one of the best prep schools in the area to send your boys to I don't know dance around the maypole whatever I don't know whatever happens in prep schools I'm not sure So rf uh now still living in flushing and also flushing At that time it really would have been a little bit of a schlep to get to manhattan for work But I guess you, you could still do it it would have been kind of a long commute though Uh on the on the clunky commuter train that Uh ran along broadway that uh is still there today, known as the Port Washington Spur of the Long Island Railroad. Anyway, RF worked making technical drawings to Street Railway Journal and Electrical Worlds. That was a magazine owned by one of Edison's friends. And he also did work for Thomas Edison as needed. On the side, he contributed to the humor magazines, which uh, of the day were Truth, Puck, Judge, and Life. These were big deal magazines. So you can see he kind of, he went to Paris and it seems like He found a little bit of his artistic muse, maybe, you know. He realized, he said, I don't have to draw other people's light bulbs and uh, motors all the time. I can maybe come up with some characters and stories of my own. And so he created the Yellow Kid. Uh, This Yellow Kid actually has a name. It's Mickey Dugan. He's a comic book character, or comic strip character, sorry, created by Richard F. Outcult. He is a mockery of a poverty-stricken kid from the Lower East Side. He's uh, often seen cavorting in filthy environments with other street urchins and criminals. And his thing is, he's bald, he's got big ears, and a big yellow nightshirt, on which is written his punchline, or what he's saying. Um, and it's really very uh, stereotypical, a lot of D's and D's. Gee, I don't know what I've done with my thing over there, whatever, you know, things like this. Uh, I heard it once said in a a comic shop, actually my comic shop, um, that that this was a stereotype of a Chinese person. And I I chuckled, but now looking back on it, I can see where you'd make that mistake. For one thing, he's called the Yellow Kid. He's, like, bald and, like, you could kind of see him as being a Chinese stereotype. uh, But no, he, in fact, is an Irish stereotype. Mickey Dugan uh, is supposed to be one of these... uh, you know, homeless, these these parentless Irish kids that run around on the streets all day. Now, you have to kind of understand why it's like there's a Lower East Side. Uh, so this is an area, and this is also something uniquely to my interest. Uh, it's an area, now you can go to your, I'm sure everyone has a map of Manhattan, right, to hand. So go to your map of Manhattan, and uh, the area is roughly bounded by Bowery to the west, uh, East Houston Street to the north, the FDR Drive to the east, and then Canal Street to the south. Essentially, uh, south of Lower East Side begins Chinatown. Really, although they're, they're, it's you know it's not that hard of a line there, but that's essentially what it is. Uh, in the mid late mid to late nineteenth and twentieth centuries, we're talking about this very time right now that the Yellow Kid is being you know shown in these humor magazines. The bulk of immigrants coming to the U.S. passed through Ellis Island in the New York Harbor and then settled in the Lower East Side. And we mean the bulk of them, folks. Like, 90% of people that passed through Ellis Island never left Manhattan. They just stayed in Lower East Side, uh, at least for a generation, until they could get their their footing and figure it out. And then even then, several generations might pass there. Uh, These people all moved into tenements, which... Were three and four room apartment buildings Three to six stories high Uh, No elevators in those days, remember They had shared hallway bathrooms If they were fancy The classy joints had that But the sodden outhouses were more the norm In the back of most of these buildings And uh, just imagine, just try to picture it Uh, By the way, the outhouse would often be right next to The only water source The water pump also So not only were those things in close proximity But a lot of these outhouses Things would get a little gross back there, so every time you want to get a nice uh, bucket of water and carry it up for six flights, you have that to contend with. Uh, I, I, my highest recommendation, well, I'm going to finish this. Uh, these were also sometimes called cold water flats, because for a long time, those with running water ran only cold. And I mean, into the 30s, this was true. By the 1840s, large numbers of German immigrants settled in the area, and a part of it became known as Little Germany or Klein Deutschland. It was followed by groups of Italians and Eastern European Jews, as well as Greeks, Hungarians, Poles, Romanians, Russians, Slovaks, and Ukrainians, each of them forming their own enclaves. By the late 19th century, more than a million people occupied this area that is smaller than one square mile. So it got a little crowded, is what I'm trying to tell you, folks. Now, um, my highest recommendation, if you live in New York, if you're going to visit New York, you got to go check out the Tenement Museum on the Lower East Side. It's at 79 Orch- Orchard Street. You can find out about it at tenement.org. Not only are you going to go to the best New York-based bookstore in New York, hands down. I mean, if you're looking for new books about New York, this is that is the location that you want to go their gift shop. Uh, but they have tours throughout the day of an actual that take place in an actual tenement. Um, God, it's it's so good, folks. I'm telling you, it's my favorite thing. I've been a member for many many years. Um, yeah, if you're coming to town, give me a call. I'll, I'll take you on a tour. It's it's really really gives you a great idea of not only just what I'm talking about here, but about the early days, uh, the first people to immigrate to America in the 19th century. Now, back to the subject. Uh, The Yellow Kid, he'd first appear in a minor supporting role in four examples of outcall's Hogan's Alley Strip, which was published in Truth Magazine in 1894 and 1895. Uh, Now, back then, these strips didn't always even had word balloons. Um, In fact, these early ones, we could be talking about one-panel jobs. You know, there was no, uh, you know... There was no standard yet about what a, sh- what a strip in a periodical would be. And newspapers didn't really feature them regularly yet. That, that It would be because of the yellow kid that that started to happen. Uh, and this yellow kid was pretty popular. And the final one, entitled Fourth Ward Brownies, was reprinted February 17, 1895, in Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper, The New York World. Uh, and by the final one, I mean the final one that would be printed in these humor magazines. Uh, Outgold did some work with them as a technical Drawing for the New York World which Probably had something to do with why he was able To get his uh, strip in the paper Uh, But a month later the New York World Published a new Hogan's Alley strip And it went over well That was followed by the cartoon's First color printing on May 5th So now Hogan's Alley Was the first regular Full page Sunday cartoon There had not been a Sunday section Like this until the 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 Yellow Kid in Hogan's Alley, and uh, yeah, Yellow Kid was the lead character, and these were full-page affairs, uh, like, just imagine a giant one-panel strip uh, as big as a unfolded tabloid newspaper, they were tremendous. Uh, the daily strips were more or less comics as we know them, often six panels, usually arranged uh, vertically, um, like, two, two by two by three, that's what we'd say, uh, depicting a sequence of action or speech to time for comedic effect. And it's the timing. This is what Outcalled uh, introduced with the Yellow Kid was a sense of timing in uh, comics. That is the, to me and to others, that is the genesis of the language. Okay, um, a picture depicting a thing is that's that's just language. Okay, an A is just a symbol to you know depict the letter A, you know what it means and. Uh, You know, the word axe is just a symbol that, you know, makes you think of what an axe looks like. But by having the words and the pictures and the timing together, now we're starting to get into what a comic strip and what comics really are. Uh, And this is something I could talk about at great length, but I would be getting far off the track. But this is why Yellow Kid is considered the first American comic strip. And often... By many, usually Americans The first comic strip of any kind Because of this timing This uh, vaudevillian timing that Outcult used uh, In 1896 Outcult was hired away At a much higher salary To William Randolph Hearst's newspaper, newspaper The New York Journal American He had been a uh, heir who uh, had run the newspaper world in San Francisco and came to New York, essentially just to conquer another market. And uh, he actually hired a bunch of people over from the world to the Journal American. Uh, Outcall was just one of them, uh, in a hope just to put Joseph Pulitzer out of business. Over at the Journal American, the yellow kid got its own full-page color, full color strip, uh, which was much more crude and foul in how it was written than would have been running in the New York world. He, This is where we really get the D's and D's and the, you know, kids of all nations running around behind them. And, you know, I gotta say, this is why I went into a big thing about Al being middle class is because there is a lot of you know, j- joking at the expense of the poor. Uh, you know, which I, I don't think he invented that. In fact, I know he didn't invent that or or perfect it. But obviously, this is something Al thinks is... Uh, Pretty hilarious, you know what I mean? These kids that basically have nothing to eat and no shoes and have to run around in dirt is uh, a uh, something for comedy. But over at the New York world, the printing was much better despite the crudity of the, of the contents of the strip. Uh, Hearst's Color Humor Supplement was named the American Humorist and advertised as eight pages of polychromatic eff- effulgence that make the rainbow look like a lead pipe which is a really, really good way to describe it. That debuted on October eighteenth, 1896, and an advertisement in the journal the day before boasted, The Yellow Kid, tomorrow, tomorrow. So, heralding The Yellow Kid, and here we go, the Sunday section, the Sunday uh, funnies are born right here at Hearst Paper. Uh, Outcalled failed in his attempt to copyright The Yellow Kid, and Pulitzer was able to hire George Lux, L-U-K-S, to continue drawing the original... And now, less popular version of the strip for the world, he still drew Hogan's Alley. Uh, he'd already helped Outcult on the strip before, so the Yellow Kid appeared simultaneously in two competing papers for about a year. Uh, one drawn by Outcult, one not. Uh, he would try to register copyright two more times in his uh, in the next few years, but he was unsuccessful. Probably because it had already been printed. You know, once it's har- once it's done, it's hard to. Uh, reel that back, you know, once once you've already published The Yellow Kid in two places It probably made things dicey Plus, doubtlessly, Hearst and Pulitzer could afford much better lawyers than Outcall could ever hope to So, uh, Outcall produced three Yellow Kid strips for the Journal American Which were McFadden's Row of Flats that ran from October eighteenth, eighteen 1896 to January tenth, eighteen 1897 uh, Around the World with the Yellow Kid A strip that sent the kid on a world tour In the matter of Nellie Bly That went from January 17 to May 30th, 1897 And a half-page strip which eventually adopted the title Ryan's Arcade That was sort of a catch-all bunch of kids uh, goofing off September 28th, 1897 to January 23rd, 1898 Was the final uh, strip for that one The World's Hogan's Alley by George Lux ran until December 1897, so that ended a month before So that was the end of the Yellow Kid in the newspapers Uh, The two newspapers that ran the Yellow Kid Which were again Pulitzer's World and Hearst's Journal American They quickly became known as Yellow Kid Papers while they ran them Uh, This was contracted to the Yellow Papers And the term Yellow Kid Journalism was shortened to Yellow Journalism Uh, It came to refer to the sensationalist stories that both papers ran to compete for readers And we again... Went into some of this in the direct market episode. It all came to a head over the Spanish-American War. Um, But I had heard when I was a kid that it was called yellow journalism because the paper was yellow. And that was a lie. Uh, That teacher should, I wish I remembered even who it was, but I would like to talk to that person and say you told the class a lie. The paper was not yellow. In fact, it was kind of the gray pulp that you expect. Matter of fact, it was whiter than the gray pulp that we see uh, today, because it had fixative sprayed on it, and uh, it was you know they were able to print full color. the The yellow kid, the yellow comes from the yellow kid's yellow shirt. Uh, the yellow kid's image was an early example of lucrative merchandising and appeared on mass market retail objects in the greater New York City area, such as billboards, buttons, cigarette packs, cigars, cracker tins, ladies' fans, matchbooks, postcards, chewing gum cards, toys, whiskey, and many. Other products, and they paid him uh, Outcult, nothing He received no money for it, because it was not Copywritten uh, Likely Hearst and Pulitzer received no money also But uh, maybe they got some kind of a Backdoor deal uh, On May 1st, 1898 The character was featured In a rather satirical cartoon called Casey Corner Kid's Dime Museum But he was drawn as a bearded, balding Old man wearing a green nightshirt Which bore the words Gosh, I've growed old in making this collection. Uh, the Yellow Kid did appear now and then unnamed again in Outcalls' later cartoon strips, uh, most notably in Buster Brown, debuted in, debuting in 1902. Uh, this character Buster Brown and his dog Tige were adopted as mascots for the Brown shoe company in 1904 as well as a style of suit for young boys popular at the time and uh, I know I, re- I know many of our listeners probably remember Buster Brown shoe stores I remember them very well. matter of fact the one near me in Flushing on Northern Boulevard actually had a, a Nickelodeon a penny Nickelodeon not even a nickel Nickel maybe it was a nickel. But it was an old-style Nickelodeon. You looked in, and you you flipped the cards, and there was some uh, flip sequence of a movie something. I, don't, I can't remember. I was very young, but I did thrill to its existence. Uh, today, I didn't know this, but Brown Shoes operates Famous Footwear and other discount shoe store chains. So they are still around, and I do still see Buster Brown Shoes for sale in the world. So there you go. Outcult's, uh, you know, true legacy is right there. Uh, and just to f- to sum up the recognition for this, uh, the Yellow Kid awards they're Italian comics awards presented by the Italian International Comics and Cartooning Exhibition. So uh, it stays alive there. Really, I would say all American comics owe something to the Yellow Kid. Uh, you know, it's one of these one of these situations where might have someone have come up with it eventually. Yeah, probably, but they didn't. He did so. Everybody should be kissing his butt posthumously a little bit. Uh, I want to thank everyone who, who listened to this, first of all. And uh, we're donating over at Patreon.com, Chris and Reggie, slash Chris and Reggie. Uh, it really is a huge help, and it makes these extra shows like this possible for Chris and I to do. Uh, Chris and me to do, sorry. Um, if you want to contact me or you want to contact the show, you can definitely write to us over at Weird Comics History at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com, Cosmic T History. On Instagram and Twitter at Cosmic T And I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. Uh, check out our show site at Weird And of course, you can search. Weird Comics History on YouTube. I'll be back with some more comic stories in a couple of weeks, folks, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your time.
0: (laughs) Down in Bottle Alley Live Timothy McNally A decent politician and a gentleman at that Beloved by all the ladies The gossums and the babies That occupy the building called McNally's Row of Flats and it's Ireland and Italy, Jerusalem and Germany Chinese and Africans and a paradise for rats All jumbled up together in the snow and rainy weather They constitute the tenants in McNally's row of flats That great conglomeration of men from every nation The Tower of Babylonium, it couldn't equal that. A peculiar institution were the brogues without dilution. They rattled on together in McNally's row of flats. And it's Ireland and Italy, Jerusalem and Germany. Chinese and Africans on a paradise for rats. All jumbled up together in the snow and rainy weather constitute the tenants in McNally's row of flats. of rags and papers, tramps and other slavers, Italian lazzaronis and lots of hungry cats, lying on the benches and dying there by inches from the open ventilation in McNally's row of flats. And it's Ireland and Italy, Jerusalem and Germany, Chinese and Africans and a paradise for rats all jumbled up together in the snow and rainy weather they constitute the tenants in mcnally's row of flats it never was expected that the rent would be collected they levied on the furniture the bedding and the slats and it's then you'd see the rally as they battled down the alley evicted from the building all McNally's row of flats and it's Ireland and Italy, Jerusalem and Germany Chinese and Africans in a paradise for rats all jumbled up together in the snow and rainy weather they constitute the tenants in McNally's row of flats